Welcome to Costly Conversations. I'm super excited because I have Rolo and Joe with me today. And I'm just super excited because we are talking about all these crazy topics. Um, man, we're going to be going over getting the younger generation involved with 2A, um, 2A culture and some of the issues that we're having with it in regards to political things, but also being libertarian because these guys, uh, I think they dabble a little bit in the politics. So if you like these things, go ahead and stay tuned in. But a little bit of housekeeping, we are um, promoting the Patreon. If you guys want to see more content and get more involved uh, in the community, hop over there and see what it's all about. Now, on to the show. What's going on, guys? How y'all doing? We're doing great, man. How are you doing? Hey, hey. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm super excited. We've been uh, friendly for a while. And mm-hmm. man, when the opportunity came to get you guys on the show, I was like, well, uh, Joe's never in town, so let's let's make this <laughs> thing happen. Definitely. You caught her at a good time. Yeah, no, I'm 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 stoked. So, man, let's let's just jump into it. Like, what the heck is going on with uh, the kids and guns and them not really kind of jumping into what we do in two A and or really, I guess I'll frame it this way: two A is kind of old. Two A is kind of dying. Yeah. What's going on? I know you guys have some thoughts on those things. So, uh, first of all, I want to point out when we first noticed this, we were at. Um, a convention that had a lot of gun owners and it was very surprising we just looked around and I'm like the second day I really like it really hit home I'm like wow everyone seems you know middle age to later age where are all the younger millennials the gen zers where are all these people don't they care about guns this is a cool show there's lots of new products and stuff here and it really made me realize we have a serious, serious problem on our hands in the gun community and in the second amendment community, because we don't have an upcoming generation that's going to keep going when it comes to the fight for the second amendment, protecting the second amendment. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, it was a pretty stark contrast, especially with, uh, kind of a lot of the other things that we've been around before, you know, we obviously like to talk a little bit about pop culture and video games as well. So that's pretty much uh, every every demographic and every age is involved in that uh, at this point. And so kind of seeing the gun community, especially when guns are kind of prevalent in video games and things like that, uh, not seeing that reflected. Having it was an surprising. Opposite, yeah, it was very surprising, especially when we saw that there was an effort there. You know, there were obviously content creators. Uh, there were the way that the conference was styled kind of had a good opportunity you know uh, any any sort of convention like that is usually pretty visually appealing so yeah. it would have been a cool place to go i i, I assume that people would have i thought it was cool yeah so absolutely um, so re- real quick before we go forward i know that you you just talked about you know you guys like to talk about like some video games a little bit of politics a little bit of firearms here and there mm-hmm. can we talk a little bit about who you guys are because I, I realized we just kind of jumped right into it we just say like <laughs> Who the freak is this? Like, who are you? <laughs> who are you guys? And then we'll get hop back right into, you know, why the two A is dying of age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we're the locked and loaded Latinos. We are uh, a married couple, and mm-hmm. we've been involved in Second Amendment advocacy for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, we hail from South Florida, and we got really involved with the movement. We were gun owners for a long time, but then we got involved in the fight to protect the second amendment when parkland happened which was actually the trigger for me to start really 
understanding like my why for why I carry a gun is because I want to protect my loved ones. Mm -hmm. I was actually nearby in Parkland um, when that happened and I was actually babysitting and I wasn't carrying. And I was just like, that was the moment that I was like, this, this is so important. You never know when something can happen. You have to always be prepared to protect yourself and your loved ones. So that was the, you know, the first, the initial trigger for me to like take being a gun owner more seriously. And then the result, the resulting political fallout from that event, um, you know, the rhinos in Florida pushing uh, red flag laws and us realizing we take the second amendment for granted, especially in a state like Florida, which is always known as the gunshine state. Mm -hmm. And then you realize how fragile your rights are and that you always have to protect them. So mm -hmm. that's I what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Joe said, we got into advocacy a little bit uh, over two years ago. I, I was, I was, I kind of introduced Joe into guns. I took her out shooting pretty much on what was it? The it third. Was, it was pretty early on yeah. in our relationship. It was very early on because it was something important to me at the very least. I wasn't necessarily like a huge advocate of the Second Amendment at the time, but I believed I've got a right to protect myself. I have a right to own a gun. I enjoy going out and practicing shooting. A lot of my friends that were a little bit older than me. They joined the military uh, after September 11th. My father was in the Navy, but he never owned guns or anything like that. You know, moving around to different places and on military bases, you can't have firearms, ironically enough. So from, uh, from that moment, you know, my friends introduced me to firearms. When I was 21, I bought my first uh, pistol. And when I started dating Joe, I knew I was like, well, I'm not gonna give this up because this is a tool for me to protect myself, my family, and potentially her in the future. And so I, you know, I have to make sure that she's totally okay with this or she knows, hey, I'm in the, I'm in the firearms. I have a gun. You, are you cool with this? If not, well, you know, we can go our separate ways. <laughs> That's kind of how it was. Because it just, it was something that was that important to me. And, you know, I wanted her to, uh, you know, to experience that. And I think it, I think it worked out. It worked out. I went from shooting my first gun to buying my first gun on the same day. So. Wow. And, and contrary to the most advice, uh, her first gun that she, uh, that Five. she shot was a 45. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> never say never. Right. Mm -hmm. no, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys kind of giving this little introduction and, um, just a quick plug of your show. You guys do a little show every once in a while. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yes, uh, we do the Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast. It's typically every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. And we kind of started that. It was kind of a serendipitous. We got into advocacy. And after being, you know, gaining some exposure, we kind of wanted to go down uh, the training route, you know, becoming firearms instructors and doing that and kind of uh, trying to help expand, you know, the community and show a different, like a different, you know, set of people here, like a married couple. And, you know, we train together, we fight together, et cetera. Uh, but pandemic hit and that kind of changed everything. A lot of events got canceled. People weren't going out. Obviously, you know, I don't need to tell that story. But throughout that, we started getting invited to different podcasts. The first one was uh, actually, what was uh, Tim Knight? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was on right, Tim yeah. Knight's show. And uh, after that, it was Hank Strange started inviting us to his podcast. And then after a while, he was like, hey, you guys are great. Uh, the audience really likes you guys. They like what you have to say. Uh, you guys should consider doing something like this. And we took it to heart and that's how we got started. And that's uh, live. You do a live show. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we do a live show. Uh, it's something that I really enjoy. It just comes as a result from being on Hank's show and having that audience interaction. We really love it. 
and honestly just sometimes being able to goof up uh live is a lot of fun yeah <laughs> and getting derailed i mean yeah we both have adhd so mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes we just we go extemporaneous and we'll be on like these tangents and we interact with the chat and they'll throw out questions so we'll like we'll start a story and then like end up completely not where we thought we were going to end up because mm -hmm. we just like sort of go in with like soft topics like okay we're going to like sort of cover these things and then three hours later it's like oh well we never hit like <laughs> two of these but hey great show yep <laughs> right 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 and so guys you know i know we took a quick pause from the topics but you know if you like firearms if you like uh people who are thinkers if you like video games pop culture comic books nerd culture that kind of stuff these guys they're the I mean, I'll probably be in the chat when you're in the chat. So hop over. <laughs> we'll be in the chat together. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh, we love having you, man. It is a lot of fun. Oh, that's yeah. probably the that's definitely the best part of doing this. It really has been the the live chat and interacting with the audience. And you know, making friends with people there that it's like, man, I would love to meet some of these people someday. Yeah. Yeah. And I had the pleasure of meeting you guys at uh, the yeah. uh, an event a couple of weeks ago or months yeah. ago at this point. And yeah. uh, it was pretty freaking cool. I was like, wait a minute, is that? That's <gasps> the guy. <laughs> no, it's was, it was freaking great. But let's let's get back to it. I know we, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about why the 2A is dying of age. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's, we're, it, we're in kind of a weird spot because I was, I was really pushed into gun ownership by my friends. But at the time, you know, in the early or I should say the late 2000s and then the early 2010s is when really gun tubing became a prominent thing. You had FPS Russia and obviously guys like Hickok 45 that were there from the start. Hank Strange was doing these things 10 years ago as well. And you had a lot of those creators. Demolition Ranch was was in his infancy, so to speak. Was Garand around that time? No, Garand oh, came there. like four or five years ago. He's like the second wave of the gun tubers, I, I would call. But, you know, and... They were just out there and at the time they just you know there were things that you could do on youtube back then that you cannot do today it was just the wild west of content creation so i think a lot of early youtube channels were really awesome at that time but they really just showed a fun side of guns and obviously being filmed you never saw anything bad happen so i mean safety was not necessarily emphasized there but it definitely showed like a positive side of firearms like hey it can be fun or hey if you're safe check these out these are some guns that you may have seen in video games mm -hmm. or let's check it out can i make this shot and it was just really cool stuff and around that time too top shot was on history channel mm -hmm. so it was this weird time where gun culture was almost normalized mm -hmm. and then it definitely wasn't stigmatized like it is now yeah so. and and to think it really wasn't that long ago it was 10 or 15 years ago but obviously with you know, tragedies that have happened along the way and the media uh, really, up. yeah, really pushing a certain agenda to try to disarm people. It really has uh, changed a lot, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the generation, and I actually got to experience this when I, before my current nine to five, I used to work in an office setting and I had office mates and um, some of them were younger and especially towards the end of my stay there. And they were in their... 20s 21 and i was actually very surprised i i like to i always like to talk about guns very i would introduce it very slowly to people and see how they would react and i was very surprised even with my friends who leaned a certain way that tended to be anti-gun it wasn't the reaction that i got from the 20 year old the 20 year old acted like 
I just said something super scary and vulgar and she freaked out. And then I realized, wow, this generation of people are traumatized. Uh, yeah. Some of them are, or a lot yeah. of them are. So I think it's a combination of, you know, well, that's the main thing. I think the stigmatization of guns happened because of the media coverage and these kids grew up with just gun bad mm -hmm. and no one's really making the effort to reach out and say, Hey, this is not what you think it is. It's actually an important tool that you should consider, especially mm -hmm. this was a girl she can she should consider having to protect herself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And well, like, so we're running into this issue of, you know, gun bad, stigmatized firearms uh, used to be kind of cool, used to be acceptable. Maybe mm -hmm. you wouldn't see a lot of people like pushing the idea of like carrying a firearm, but at least, you know, if you saw somebody with a, a military style rifle, quote unquote, like it wasn't like, oh, well, that's that's cool. Like, oh, are you going to blow up those drums? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, are we going to shoot tracer rounds? Like it, it was there was a, a cool factor to it. Yeah. Now it's like gone out of style in a sense. You're not really seeing a lot of young people at certain events. Yeah, there's still kids playing Call of Duty, Battlefield, Halo, the works. Well, not so much Battlefield, Halo, the works. <laughs> yeah. But what can we do, I guess, as people in our position or what can maybe the larger organizations do? Because there's plenty of large orgs um, doing stuff and pushing their money around. You brought up video games, which we were always going to talk about because we love video games. But mm -hmm. um, I actually disagree. I think that the kids, like if you watch Twitch, which I think mostly is a very young demographic, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't know what the demographic is, but there's tons of 9, 10, 12, 15 year olds on there. There's uh, not so many. I mean, there's probably adults, but most of the people on there are definitely under the age of 20. Um, and the number one video games that people watch are still Fortnite are still all the shooting games, Call of Duty. So clearly guns are still strangely, even though we just talked about the fact that guns are stigmatized and guns are bad in video games, guns are still popular or at least the concept of them are still cool because, you know, if you just look at the statistics, a game, all, all these battle royales and, and video games are still super popular. Mm -hmm. So what can one of the things that we can do is, you know, bridge that gap um, because th what they're missing is the information, the education. These people may not be totally brainwashed to the stigmatization of it, of, of guns are bad. They're starting to think, OK, these are these things are cool. Use that cultural aspect of gun uh, of, of video games and fortify it uh, with education, with, hey, you know, let's talk about guns. Let's talk about why these are important for your freedom and why these are important to save your life one day um, or as a sport. So just that using that cultural aspect of or that popular pop culture aspect of video games to transition that to real life because this generation isn't doing that right now it's just staying at the video game level of oh yeah as a toy it's cool instead mm. of thinking this is cool and it's also something useful that i can use in my life mm -hmm. yeah i i think you you almost want to try to 
you want to normalize it in the way and so have the separation kind of like how kids can like racing games but obviously they know in real life you can't drive that way so you want to be able to you know delineate that but still have the cool factor because obviously if you see something like a mclaren or a lamborghini in a video game you're like oh that's so cool and then when you see it in real life you're like oh my gosh this is incredible like it's really here in front of me and the same thing can happen with guns i mean one of the coolest things for me was when i was able to buy you know an ar-15 for the first time and then make it look like an old school uh, m16 or something like that or buy a 1911 or you know all of these different guns that you may have seen in video games and it's like wow now i can use it and then understanding trying to translate, well, I'm really awesome at video games, so I should be awesome at shooting guns. And then it's like, no, you're, you're not necessarily going to be that way. And then practicing that craft and trying to perfect yourself, going through the grind like you would in a video game to get your skills higher. And then knowing that those skills can translate to maybe saving your life one day or saving your loved one's life. And it's just pretty awesome. I think part of also what's been happening, and this is kind of a, a, a bigger thing is, I, I think guns are very ingrained with American culture and they're almost uniquely the, the gun ownership culture is uniquely American, I would argue. And we've seen that the younger generations have a lot of anti-American sentiment. Mm -hmm. So obviously anything attached with American Americanism or American history can have a negative connotation because of that. So I think guns and the second amendment and even freedom of speech to some extent, because we see that a lot of young people believe in censorship or like you can't say certain things or, or things like that because it's going to hurt my feelings. We see a lot of that. So the first and second amendment, I would say, are are really fundamentally American. There's no other. There are very few countries. Actually, there's really no countries that have free speech and and gun rights. So pushing, you know, that anti-American sentiment is going to really uh, obviously hurt the gun community. I think that's part of what's going on. Because it's, you know, oh, man, that's like Americans are, are the only ones into guns. And you know how people kind of say that with disdain or disgust. Yeah. And younger people see that it's portrayed really on, you know, throughout the world and obviously by the media and pop culture in the United States. So it's almost like, yeah, man, that's not cool because being American isn't cool either. But we didn't actually answer Aaron's question. What do we do? We talked about it. Yeah. But we didn't answer his question. What can you do? Yeah. So what can you do is content creators yeah. um, like... Aaron and like Volo and like all these other people that are popular on, and I see this, this is actually a trend that I'm glad is happening. Oh, yeah. Um, like T-Rex Arms, I know everybody has different feelings about him. He does that. He he plays uh, Call of Duty and he streams on Twitch. Um, I think Grand also, Grand Thumb is really into um, making videos of him acting like he's in a video game, dressed up like he's in a video mm -hmm. game. So, you know, I think that that's I appreciate that. I feel like um, more emphasis can be done or more effort can be done by content creators to mm -hmm. kind of try to bridge that gap with the younger generation. Like, hey, you like Call of Duty? Come watch my video about guns. Um, I also think companies need to focus on that. Maybe they need to start having gun related. Sorry, gun related. <laughs> they do have gun related stuff at their shows. Uh, but companies that have events, conferences should be having game related things as well. Maybe have a gaming tournament at your convention. I think that'd be a great idea to bring yeah. younger people in. I mean, has anyone thought about that? I doubt it. Um, they also need to make better programs for youth education. I would love to see better programs coming out. I don't think it's much of an emphasis though, because 
I mean, I understand from a business perspective, kids don't buy guns or things like that, but it's going to be the next generation. So they're very short-sighted in their lack of emphasis on the younger generation. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think you can see some companies like SIG, obviously SIG makes their own uh, airsoft guns and things like that. So I think more companies doing that, emphasizing that because, you know, kids like to play airsoft, paintball. Those are awesome sports. So really giving them, hey, this is a, you know, a SIG P320. You can, it weighs just like the real one. You can learn the manual of arms and all that stuff. And then one day when you're 18 or unfortunately 21 in some states, then you can get the real thing. You'll already know how to use it. Yeah, no, I, I think those are, those are fantastic ideas. Um, and I, I wonder, even just throwing an idea in there, if certain gun company, companies can maybe lower their prices or try to work with companies like Activision, who I don't know mm -hmm. if Activision will even touch a gun anymore since they're owned by Microsoft. And yeah, who, know. who knows? I mean, I know it's video games, but um, the idea of maybe trying to license the actual names of their guns. So it's like, oh, wait. That's that's a actual Glock forty three X or mm -hmm. whatever in this game, or that's a that's actually the Sig, um, this or that. That's the new mm -hmm. one. It's in the game by the actual name because you know when it, when it's in the game they don't use the real name and you kind of mm -hmm. have to know. So I, I wonder if there's certain things they can do to really emphasize. But also I had an idea of like man, like what if we could so. People who are anti-gun can generally be a little bit preachy in their delivery of things. Mm -hmm. um, they can go on and be like, hey, guys, we need to um, really focus on this and no more this. Like, this is going to be the generation that ends these things. I think we do need to, I, I hate to say it, but I think we should adopt a similar model. We can make it our own, but actually go out of our way to preach a little bit and say like, hey, mm -hmm. commercial during uh, these Twitch commercials or whatever, hey guys, just want to let you all know firearm safety is a big deal and this is an awesome gun, da -da 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 -da. but we got to be safe. You know, these are targets. You're real people. We got to be super safe. Never X, Y, Z. And mm -hmm. just show them the, like the four rules. Yeah. Buy your 60 second commercial and make it happen. Let um, one of the characters from Call of Duty um, like... Um, Real world tactical or Alexa, like let them do the commercial. Mm -hmm. People would love that. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously, it's a little preachy and it's not really in the wheelhouse of, you know, hardcore two way conservative old school guys or whatever the idea is, but we got to do something. No, I think that's a good idea, actually. I like that a lot. Well, shoot, maybe I should license it. Sorry, guys, we're not yeah. dropping the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So. No, no, I do like that idea. It's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I, I know that Lucas does a lot of stuff on his Twitch channel. He actually shows him like taking apart guns. I was like, wow, Twitch doesn't care about this. YouTube will go crazy. They would lose uh, if their it's a live mind. stream. They I know just, Twitch. <laughs> Twitch is like Twitch I, is a weird place. You can't West. say certain. You can't say certain things. You could be in a hot tub in a bikini. Apparently, uh, you can take apart your gun on a live stream, but you mm -hmm. can't say certain things. So it's like Twitch is a weird place. Yeah. They don't Absolutely. know what they want. Yeah. And obviously they don't have like YouTube and Google have massive algorithms and AI that are scanning all your content. So sometimes as soon as you upload a video, you're like flagged. You've got like some a licensed product or some sound in uh, some song in your video. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh man, they Somebody know right away. the song and now. Yeah, Google's exactly. Like, nope. Whereas Twitch, 
Twitch pretty much just relies on moderation. So it, either the users report and they're like, this person's doing a bad thing and I'm bothered by it or it breaks the terms of service. Mm -hmm. Then they'll send their mods in there and the mods like, okay, it is or no, it isn't. Shoot, people are so watching like bit. full seasons of like actual television shows on Twitch. At one they point. finally got gigged yeah, by that. Yeah. Oh my I, God. Uh, Pokemon got uh, suspended for like three days and she was so upset. She, she like, don't care. Dude, you were, you were sitting there watching a whole episode of a show and not Listen. just like, just, Listen, not to get into it, but she's just mad because her contract is ridiculous and she has to stream for like 50 billion hours. And this was a way to kind of take a break from all that. <laughs> Stop signing bad contracts. Get a Patreon. I don't know. I know. Facts. Yep. Well, that's, a, yeah, the, the old Twitch streamers that got into a deep, they got too, too, too embedded with Twitch. Mm -hmm. So you always have to try to monetize on your own, make your own website or do something else. That's yeah, no, on, honestly. And that's, that's why I highly recommend like, Hey, if you see a, a streamer or a content creator that like you really like, like support them as much as you can, mm -hmm. you know, watch their stuff, share their stuff, hit like as often as you can. And of course, you know, if they have a Patreon or some products that they're selling buy it, it helps. And you could mm -hmm. support that said, like, let's, um, do you feel like there's anything else that we got we can do just as, I guess as an industry to make things happen or do you feel like we've we've dropped some pretty good solutions I think I, I think we had some good ideas I think just kind of normalizing it just so just yeah just regular people and get, getting the companies to pay attention and care I've actually yeah. I'm not gonna say what company but they literally said like that line is actually a, like a legit line from a company that I heard an insider tell me yeah we were gonna do that but uh, kids don't buy guns yeah, that's crazy to me. That's so short-sighted. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and maybe you, maybe they, you also, yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe you just need to, yeah. But their future, yeah. That's the thing. They're future customers, and that's what they need to think about. But maybe you do have to, you know, uh, go for the parents, especially the moms that are usually, you know, mothers. Moms Demand Action is obviously one of the biggest gun control groups out there. So you know, having a counter to that, ha showing stories of moms that you know, like. Uh, like Joe's best friend, Beth Alcazar uh, of USCCA magazine. She's the editor at large, right? Yes. yes. She is. <laughs> uh -oh. Cool. So, you know, she, she emphasizes, you know, being a mom and protecting your kids and also, you know, training, training your kids, being responsible with your firearms, all of that. So you show a positive spin about that. She plays video games too. So that's pretty awesome. It's pretty sure. So, yeah. So sharing all of that stuff and showing that, Hey, if you raise your kids responsibly, you teach them, right to respect firearms like you would anything else, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's knives or even just, you know, sticking a plug in an outlet, knowing that you, you have to be careful about how you do that. You're you can electrocute yourself. All of those things, you just need to be confident in yourself as a parent and be honest with your kids when it comes to that stuff and not scare them, you know, let them know, Hey, this is a gun. It's dangerous. It can kill, you know, it can kill you or seriously hurt you, but this is how you treat it. This is where, you know, if you want to tell them where it is, because some people have different viewpoints about that, too, about whether you should expose your kids to guns and let them know where they are or you just kind of keep it as a taboo. Mm -hmm. Kevin Dixie actually did a uh, showed his him training his daughter recently, and I thought that was like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And I gave him kudos for that. I, I love that. You know, it's not just moms. OK, mm -hmm. I, I know it's important yeah. to, to show moms, but it, it really like. I got me when mm -hmm. I'm like, dad, teaching his daughter how to shoot a gun. That's so awesome. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely need both. Um, I, I tend to lean towards the, that we gotta, we gotta target the moms like quote unquote, mm -hmm. mainly cause 
I think they are the underrepresented group in the two-way conversation yeah. Yeah. if we're just talking about like gender-specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, men, men is just that's normal. Yeah, my my dad took me shooting when I was this age. You know, we went hunting, but moms yep. are generally excluded as like, ah, you know, my husband will take care of it. Oh, my husband has so many guns. Or yeah, he made me get this. Or, we go shooting mm-hmm. sometimes, but really, it's like, man, can we get you in a class? Can we design holsters that are really gonna work with you and your situation? Can we um, really market towards you? Not necessarily making a pink gun, but making uh, making sure that our marketing lets you see you in this product. And you know, I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not trying to do their job for them. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, like, you know, people are going hard. Like, they got these kids. Uh, who's that one kid that they have? Um, who was in Parkland? Um, Hog. Oh, David Hogg. David Hogg. They have David mm-hmm. Hogg up there, twenty years old, looking kind of like a supervillain, to be honest. Um, yeah. And. You know, he's tugging at the heartstrings of parents and be like, hey, look at my face. I'm young. I'm saying that this is a problem. And every mm-hmm. single time something bad happens, the media, <laughs> sorry, guys, the media yeah. um, brings these kids up and says like, hey, they are a victim. They are, you know, hurting. And that is true in a sense. But also look at the other side. We, we can do a lot to make sure that these people um, whoever it is, whether it's a mom or kids in a bad situation, can have a layer of protection. And mm-hmm. instead of stripping those away and saying like, no guns, except for the bad guys, guys, yeah. no guns. You can say like, hey, people who can safely and responsible operate, responsibly operate a firearm should take that upon themselves and, you know, stand in the way of evil. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm. Let's uh, let's keep it moving, guys. Thank you. <laughs> that I, I feel like we we touched on so much. I appreciate you mm-hmm. guys. You're really sticking in there and uh, you know throwing out some fantastic ideas. Hopefully, you know, Sig or somebody hears this and takes some ideas <laughs> to heart and maybe sends you a check, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about you guys. Elephant in the room. Um, you are Latino. Uh huh. Your gun owners. What's that like? You want to go first? Um. Yeah, sure. So what's it like being a Latino gun owner? First of all, it being a Latino, people assume what I'm sure other other minorities can have experienced this, but people just assume you're where you lean or what you believe because, you know, the great majority of Latinos are liberals and I'll, I have a, a why for that. It's, it's, you know, the government, um, has programs that provide for low income, freshly arrived, you know, people to the, to the States. Um, so you have a loyalty to them and then the actual TV programming that is on Hispanic channels is extremely biased. And I grew up watching that and I didn't realize it when I was younger. But then as an adult, once I'd already started to change my viewpoints and experienced life and then came back and went, hey, I don't really think I believe this. Uh, I went back to my parents' house and got to watch them sitting there and watching some news. And I'm like, how is this news? This is so biased. They're literally telling you what to believe. And then I realized, wow, they probably heard that their entire lives. So no, no wonder. So I definitely get that all the time where I'm out and I'm talking and people just assume they 
that your views are a certain way. So it's always a shock to people when you reveal, oh yeah, I'm a gun owner. And it's not as prevalent as you would hope. Although there is a Latino gun community. Mm -hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about my experience. Oh, but, go for it. <laughs> but uh, my experience from Joe, I guess my experience is very different. Yeah. Uh, I grew up, uh, I am, I'm from Puerto Rico. So Puerto Ricans compared to other his, uh, Latinos already have a very a different experience because obviously Puerto Rico is part of the United States. So we're born American citizens. So things like the border, uh, immigration, those issues are pretty much irrelevant to Puerto Ricans because they don't affect us uh, directly. So, but obviously we still, everybody in Puerto Rico speaks Spanish. Uh, all, everything is bilingual. Everybody can, most people, most everybody can speak yeah. English as well, but it's still very much like being in a, in a different country in a lot of ways. So it's like being in a, in a, in a Latin American country, but everything is American. You know, mm -hmm. it's all dollars. All the signs are like they are in the United States, all the same franchises. You can go to Burger King, but they'll sell you tostones. Yes. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, and they have Nutella too, instead yeah, of uh, instead weird. of uh, what we've got over here, like just regular jam and stuff. So it's pretty cool. So, but so that's a different experience. And my dad was in the Navy, so pretty much from an early age, from when I was four years old on, that's when I left Puerto Rico, and moved to Japan, lived in South Carolina, and then lived pretty much in Florida for the rest of my life in different parts. And it was just a different experience because. I was already thrown out into the world. So I was already an extreme minority moving to Japan because everybody's Japanese. Mm. <laughs> so, and so outside of the military bases, I, you know, people would always be like, Oh my gosh, look, it's, it's uh, you know, non, non Japanese people. So it was a very, very different for me growing up. I, I, I kind of grew up, I, I grew up obviously very patriotic, very proud to be uh, American. My dad always, you know, kind of raised me that way. And it was always kind of a positive experience. So it really wasn't until I moved to South Florida that I really started, besides when I would go back to Puerto Rico, really experience Latin culture in the United States. I was always like the one uh, Latino dude everywhere I was. So people would be like, oh man, what's that like? You're Puerto Rican, That's uh, what, what's that all about? Can you speak Spanish? Like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> it was no big deal. And it, it really didn't bother me. I know some people get bothered by that, but I guess since I lived in different parts of the world, I was just used to that. And that's because of course people are going to be like, oh, you look totally different than me. Like, what's your deal? They're like, oh yeah, this is my deal. And they'd be like, oh, cool. So that's kind of how I grew up. So really it was just very open, I guess, in a lot of ways. I, I kind of had, had a very positive experience with all of that. So kind of starting to see in South Florida, different, different Latinos. So you started seeing Cubans and their story. And I could relate with Cubans a lot, just with the way I was raised. Um, and obviously the struggle that they went through. So, but then you also run into uh, people who may have gone, you know, through, so uh, through the opposite side of what's happened in South America. So the United States did a lot of things in South America. They contributed to a lot of turmoil. So there are a lot of people that see guns as either oppressive because they have some dictator they're fighting or, uh, you know, a foreign countries interfering with stuff or they have drug cartels. So everybody that they see in their life that uses guns is bad, basically. That's what they're exposed to. And they just see that that all they cause to them in their eyes is ruin. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's different when you come here and you see the contrast between, let's say, Cubans or, you know, somebody from Central America. 
from Panama or something like that, where they can have totally different perspectives on these things or somebody from Mexico, if they're in an area that's controlled by the cartels. And that really just kind of opened my eyes. I was like, wow, man, like, okay. Even, even me knowing now I can see that we're all very different, even though we do speak the same uh, language. We all have different histories. We all have come from countries that have different histories and different relationships with guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really, I, I think what we kind of emphasize is, especially with people that have that negative view of guns, is obviously this is moving to the more mature conversations. It's like you can't look at guns as a tool of oppression. It's a tool of defense, too. Mm -hmm. And it's also a tool to stand against oppression. Because if, let's say that in your country, if you had been able to own guns, maybe the bad people never would have been able to take over in the first place because they knew that there would be too much resistance. So sometimes it's an insurance policy where it's like, you know what? I'm not going to mess with these guys because they're way too well armed. I really want their stuff, but it's totally not worth it because I'm probably either I'm not going to make it or it's going to hurt. And I'm, I really don't want to deal with that. And so it can be used as a deterrence. And that's something that I emphasize to a lot of people. You never want to have to use your gun. You, you don't. That's a bad day that you have to use your gun. Yeah, it really long, is. It's probably going to be the worst day of your life. Yeah. Uh, and, and it could be the last day of your life, too. That's, yeah. So knowing that, you just have to be prepared to defend yourself at any moment. And really pushing that, that message kind of wakes people up. It's like, if you could prevent what, what you went through in your home country, wouldn't you like the ability to do that? Or at least the opportunity. Well, I think that's why Cubans are so pro-gun, or at least the majority of Cubans mm -hmm. or, or older Cubans, at least people who have had the experience of living in Cuba. Um, I've found a lot of them are very pro-gun. And I find that refreshing because they are very much aware of, hey, if I had this, then I would be free. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, and that, that is the mature conversation and being able to kind of get into those things. I think from a, a Latino's perspective can be, powerful and I do think that majority of the people in the 2A world really don't know how to communicate these ideas with people from these backgrounds because they just can't relate at all yeah. not not in even a single iota other than maybe knowing a story yeah and even even myself like I'm just like trying to think it's like man how much you know Latin American history do I know not much like I, I know there's some turmoil here and here mm -hmm. and uh, you know a dictator here and there but other than that, it's like, man, what do I know? It's actually really cool. The uh, number one movie right now is uh, Disney's Encanto, which I found so relatable because that's my mom's story. Um, my mom grew up in Colombia during La, La Violencia, which is their civil war. Mm. And my, my grandfather was actually a political figure and they were actually trying to assassinate him for his political views. So they actually had to hide the family in the attic when uh, their town got stormed by the 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 fire, yeah. yeah. So it was really cool, like to see. Hey, this is a like nobody knows about this story, and now the number one movie in America is about my history, like my parents' history. This is really cool. That is that is interesting, and really, I think just the idea of being able to look back, um, a, a gen not even a few generations, but like yeah, your mom, mm -hmm. your grandmother. You know, and, and their family, they came from a story that's completely different coming into America and kind of like immigrating in that way. And I, I don't think that's a story that's really talked about much, like you just said, but I, I don't think that's many people's story in the sense. Well, obviously, there's some, but mm -hmm. the, just the majority mindset isn't quite like that either because people have been here for years or 
even in the African-American situation where you're like stripped from the home and you don't get to remember anything from that place. And he's like, well, which, mm-hmm. what country are you from? So I, I do think it's powerful that you, you have some, some, I guess, some history that you can know and kind of relate to. And then obviously with your understanding, be able to talk to other people from those areas and be like, Hey, you know, this is, this is something that my family went through. Mm-hmm. and be able to speak to it, especially for the promotion of the Second Amendment. I think the best part is just having perspective because a lot of people that have only lived in the United States, either you have a super a super idealistic view of the United States in the, mm. in the case of some people, or you have an extremely negative view of the United States and you think it must be the worst place in the world. And when you see how other countries are, you realize that that's not, neither, neither is the case. It's yeah. more in between and really more on the positive side for a lot of people. Uh, at least here you have the opportunities in a lot of, you know, South and Central American countries, you really have no opportunity at all. You don't have rights. You can't do anything for yourself. You're constantly, you know, worried about, you know, what is, is the government going to do something or is our drug cartels going to do something? Uh, things have definitely improved in a lot of countries. Obviously Venezuela is a terrible example of what's going on right now. And uh, the cartels, the cartel violence in Mexico but Colombia has definitely improved a lot, and a lot of South American countries have uh, have definitely prospered a lot over the last few years. But you still see that turmoil. Where did we see recently? Um, Bolivia. Bolivia, yeah. In Bolivia, there was a lot of violence. We were actually in Washington, D.C. when there happened to be a uh, an actual, what's it called, a protest in yeah. D.C. for the violence and, and political unrest in Bolivia. So, yeah, I mean, I think South America in general has been extremely has a long history of uh, instability. So I think the majority of, I don't wanna say the majority of people who come over are patriotic, um, but like my parents, even though they lean liberal, they're extremely patriotic because you you know what you come from and you're so grateful for the opportunities that you have here. I mean, my family's extremely prosperous now. They came from nothing and I have uh, two siblings who are doctors and I have a great career and, you know, we're doing great. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you sit back and you go, wow, if my parents hadn't come here, if we hadn't had been bliss and that's why it makes you patriotic. I'm like super patriotic. Um, because I'm aware that I'm lucky to be here. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of, a lot of Hispanics, I think I at least hope I, I know a lot of Hispanics that are extremely patriotic because they also are aware of that or they're cognizant of that, you know, difference that their life could have been now contrast that with and as we kind of touch on it some of the latino um gun groups and some of their ideals and some of their i'm not going to necessarily speak to it too much because i think you could speak better but Mm -hmm. i guess the part the section of america that is i guess exhausted with the idea of this american idealism and um Mm -hmm. being patriotic and like you know, Joe's like, yeah, I'm, I'm very patriotic. And then there's going to be some people maybe even tuning in who are just like, blah, uh, yeah. she's, a, <laughs> she's a patriot. Uh. Um, let's talk about, I suppose, that and then how that kind of relates to some of these Latino gun organizations or one in particular. Yeah, well, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen, obviously, in the last two years is that we've seen an increase in gun ownership in general, but specifically in the black and Hispanic community. And that's been good. But as we've spoken with more people, a lot of people's motivations aren't necessarily what we would have thought. 
Now, obviously, with what happened in the pandemic and, uh, you know, a lot of the riots that happened in 2020, a lot of people got scared. They bought guns to try to defend themselves. But a lot, but some other people also bought them as a reaction to the events of January 6th. And it was very interesting to speak with people who have totally different perspectives and how there is a section of, I guess, I, I almost hate to say it, that they there's a section of new gun owners that do believe like I bought guns to defend against like white supremacists and domestic terrorists. And it's almost, it's sad for me to kind of think of that as a motivation because being in the gun community, I really, I haven't run into those people. I know that they exist. There are obviously bad, bad actors and racists in, in every group in the world. Uh, you know, you're always going to find some a-hole somewhere. So it, it just kind of, it seeing that contrast, has been really interesting. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because it's like, wow, man, that's kind of a, a, a really sad reason to want to buy a gun. But hey, that's the nature of where we are. So how did you get here? And that's usually where I want to start. Like, what drove you here? Why do you think these things? And have that conversation and try to, you know, turn it around a little bit or say, hey, you do have a right to own a firearm. But here's what the Second Amendment is about. Here's some of the things you have to worry about. And here's some other good people that may look like what you think is a stereotypical bad gun owner, but if you talk to them, they're some of the greatest people in the world that you're ever going to meet. Mm. And, uh, and just kind of contrasting that. Now, as far as some of the organizations that I've seen, uh, there's one, there's the Latino Rifle Association that comes out. I was like, By oh, the man. way, we were really excited when, I, when we looked into it, myself and a friend of mine who's also a Latina, we were like, oh, awesome. There's already an organization. Let's join. Let's see if like, we can like collab and stuff. And then you know, then you look into them a little bit more and you're like, oh, that's not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're definitely, uh, well, I mean, they're they're more of a socialistic anarchist group. Uh, that's where they kind of lean. But just seeing the commentary from their founder online, it's just everything is just so negative. It's really uh, acting as if, you know, really Latinos don't have any right to own guns at all. It's that kind of negative feedback or like we have to get this in order to obtain more power. And I just feel like it's a very negative and adversarial uh, viewpoint for owning guns, especially when it's almost it's a reaction to your fellow citizen and not to the force that has a monopoly. Well, the group that has a monopoly on force, which would be the government mm -hmm. in a lot of cases. So it really is interesting kind of seeing that, especially when you know the history of a lot of Latin American countries where it's like, you you want the stuff to stop the oppressors on the top, not to like fight your fellow man. Obviously, if if there's chaos in the streets, you want to defend yourself. But and I'm very like confused as how they got to that point in their thinking process because I definitely had a lot of racism growing up. I experienced a ton of racism growing up. I I heard go back to Mexico uh, on a regular basis because I was extremely Hispanic. I'm not from Mexico. I, I was like, hey, I've never been. I'd love to. I would make jokes about it. Um, but I never let it get me mad. Like, I would be like, people are. I definitely was, you know, had feelings about it because you can't not. But, um, you know, you just get over it and move on and try to educate people on, you know, who you are. And I think that's the best way to combat racism, not get angry and create groups because you hate your like your fellow citizens who are uneducated i mean people are dumb i mean uh when was it when mark anthony sang the national anthem at some sporting event and all over the internet people were like why are they having a mexican 
uh, singing the national anthem. They should have an American doing it. It's like, he is an American. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Yeah. So the ignorance is astounding. Our struggle. So you can either get mad or educate people. And mm -hmm. I just chose the route of don't get mad, you know, get glad. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, she had to. Oh. Sorry, I'm super cheesy. Oh, but yeah, God. no, that's that's the route that I take. I, I never let people phase me. I just like I have I play the long game, like even people who, you know, do the anti gun thing with me. Like, I don't tell them I'll like play long game, like six months down the road, they'll find out I'm a gun person. They go, oh, crap. And I'm like, yeah. And then like a year later, I have that same person who told me like they didn't like guns. A year later, they'll be like, hey, can you take me to the range? Like, oh. I have, like, infinite patience with people. Like, I, I I don't know. I guess people don't have that. A lot of people don't have that, but I have mm -hmm. that. Yeah. No, it's 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 interesting because in today's culture, a lot of people, I'm, I'm not trying to get, like, culture-y, but in today's culture, uh, a lot of people, if they run into something that they don't like or disagree with, they label it, as, usually incorrectly, as toxic and not taking care of myself and it's bad for my health to be around you because I don't like something that you believe or that mm -hmm. you said or some something that you vibe with or whatever. And they'll just disown you, you know, mm -hmm. full stop. But so I think it's interesting that you said that, like, hey, you know, I just won't even tell people at first. I'll let them get to know me for me and they like fall mm -hmm. in love with me. And then, boom, That's by the tactic. way, the thing That's that you tactic. hate most in this world, mm -hmm. I love. Mm -hmm. What, you're not a monster? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, that's freaking sweet. Mm -hmm. That was an actual mm -hmm. true story. One of my former coworkers was, you know, that was one of our first conversations. She was like, oh, my God, my uh, my brother-in-law came to Thanksgiving. This was a year before. Mm. And uh, can you believe that he was uh, he was wearing a gun on him? I mean, like, what kind of paranoid psycho wears a gun? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Six months later, like, yeah, yeah. she's like, it's too late. She already likes me. She already knows I'm a normal person. I already just destigmatized the whole concept of being a gun owner because she got to know me and she got to see that I'm a normal person. I'm not a deranged psycho. Right. And I reinforced that with, oh, you know, you're a woman and you actually live in a, a city that has these, these statistics because I already like pre-gamed and knew all these statistics about the crime rate in her city. And I'm like, you should really consider doing this. Mm -hmm. Could be saving your life. Mm -hmm. Six months later, after that, oh my God, I witnessed the mugging. Can you please take me to the range? Absolutely. Golly. I got you. Witnessed yeah. the mugging. That, that's rough. That, that's a rough way to go. And I really yeah. hate mm -hmm. when people feel like, okay, I, I've witnessed something or I went through something really tough or like something's in the news. Let me hurry up and jump into guns. And that's the worst way to do it. You need to kind of go into it a little slower. Mm -hmm. You know, be able to do some research, figure out what's good. But obviously, you know, sooner the better. But it, it kind of sucks to see people, especially after, you know, pandemic, January 6th, things like mm -hmm. that, where it's like, I guess I should get a gun. It's just yeah. kind of sad. And yep. by the way, even if people don't like guns, I won't push that right away. Like, I think before... It's not for everybody. It's not yeah. for everybody. I told her, you know what? If you don't feel this way, you should at least get some pepper spray or if you feel comfortable, a knife, start training with a knife or go get some hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like, you know, 
those concepts are, I know a lot of people are just like, no, it has to be a gun. It's like, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do to help people get some level of self-defense. And I really truly believe that if, if not, guns are not for everyone. Some people can't get past their, their fears. They can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we were talking a little bit beforehand and I know you had mentioned that there is a, a bit of division in the Latino community. Is that really about firearms? Uh, in general. I, I, well, oh, I, I think it could just be in general, just different countries are different. Obviously right now we've seen, you know, how political everything has gotten and how the media emphasizes things. I think we're starting to see a, a different, well, one of the things I wanted to, you know, kind of talk about that other organization too, is one of the red flags in any organization for me as a Latino is if the word Lat- Latinx, Latin X is used. Uh-oh. To me, that's a huge red flag because Okay, so for those of you that don't know, uh, Spanish is a gendered language. So there's Latinos, Latinas. And, it, you know, most of our words are, you know. Everything has yeah. a gender because we have L and La. We don't have yep. just like a the word. There's no the word. There's an L and La. So your couch is a girl or a boy. The chair is a girl or a boy. The table is a girl or a boy. You can't take that away. It's part of the actual built, like it's built into mm-hmm. the, to the language. The yeah. structure of the language. So seeing it, it's it, it's funny because I see that and I'm like, okay, so okay, people, you guys are against like a cultural appropriation and you're against all these, other, but now you okay, so but you want to take my language and basically anglify it. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand. There's no X's in our language. Yeah, like, I was like, I don't understand. Like, who got this bright idea? What did you? Why did you think this was a good thing? So, I mean, I'm starting to see a division with that. The vast majority of Latinos think that Latinx is stupid or they've never heard of it. The younger generation is starting to embrace it, but I think it's more of the mainstream left culture is trying to really push that. And it just, to me, I mean, I don't really get offended by things, but to me that that's pretty offensive because it's like, okay, so you don't respect, you you say, you, you try to pander to us because of our culture. You say that basically white people hate us uh, for whatever reason. Uh, that America is terrible. So, you know, we need to empower you. But at the same time, you come, you approach me with, well, your language is bigoted, basically. So we have to change it for you because we know better. And that's the way that I take it. And I, and I just find that kind of whole pandering, the whole less than, even when, you know, you, you have certain people say, well, you know, uh, black and brown people don't know how to use a computer, so they can't figure out where they're going to vote. <laughs> I mean, you hear things like that, and it just really is like, so which side is who's really trying to like put me down here and who's really disrespecting me? And that's what I've seen. And I'm not saying it's a, that it's, it's a, to me, it's a lack of respect. Yeah. Like you, you, you're acting like you, you care and you, you want the best for me, but then you completely disrespect my culture and my language. So, yeah. well, there's that division to answer your question. Uh, going back, we get, we get off on tangents. Lot, <laughs> uh-uh. um, C-A-D-H-D. Yeah. yeah. Hispanics are definitely not a monolithic (laughs) to bring that, that, uh, quote, uh, monolithic cultures. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not a monolithic culture. Um, naturally because we all come from, or most of us, or great majority of us come from different countries. There's Chile, Mexico, um, Honduras, Colombia, Venezuela. I can go on and on. I I wonder how many there are, but there's a quite a Mm -hmm. lot of Hispanic countries. We all speak the same language. So, we all share certain similarities in our culture, 
you know, there's the chancla that we all know. <laughs> the sandal for <laughs> the those. Sandal for, for those who don't know that. Right. Um, we all grew up watching Sábado Gigante, which is a popular, it was a formerly, uh, it was a game show that lasted four hours on Saturdays. And, but beyond that, uh, our food is a little bit different from each other and our history is different from each other. So going back to what we were talking about before, you know, the relationship with guns is different with each country of origin because they have a different history. Um, but it also, that's also something that divides us is we all have a slight, I don't want to say patriotism, but it is like an, um, pride, pride yeah. in our countries of origin. So I don't know if you've ever heard like Edgar on like, I love Edgar. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, we're Hispanics. We're together. And he's like, nah, I'm Mexican. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, but that's really <laughs> oh how it is. We are not like we're together, but we're not together. Like, that's just the thing that is just natural to Hispanics. Like, right. you know, I grew up like going to Hispanic mass with all of my Hispanics. It's like, but then you like really like only superficially soccer game comes on. It's soccer over. game. It's comes over. on on Sunday like you're good there's, there's you're good at mass blood. then after mass the soccer game comes on and it's like f you you're you're you suck because you're playing their team you know yes, but sir. I mean uh, the most segregated time in Hispanic cultures um, <laughs> Latino cultures is uh yep. Sunday soccer, soccer games. game yeah mm -hmm. so but yeah so that's a natural hurdle that we have and then now with this organization, I see yet another hurdle is there is apparently a culture or, or a generation. I don't know if it's, he's younger, but of or at least a community of Hispanics that feel some kind of oppression or something that makes them dislike Americana and dislike government. And trust me, I don't like government. I, I can be I can love America without liking my government because I don't agree with a lot of what it does yeah the way i always look at it is I, I hear a lot of people always complain like well you know those rights aren't for people like us i'm like why do you feel that way and and if so if you do feel that way why would you want to destroy those rights rather than saying no i i deserve that too yeah, because just, i'm an american by by virtue of me being here and being alive i deserve to have the same rights as you so I don't understand the whole, we got to tear everything down. It's like, no, I, I believe in the becoming a more perfect union. Mm. I think that the foundation of a lot of the things in the constitution we can agree are really good, at least the bill of rights. I think the problem is the implementation throughout American history has been lacking or hypocritical. So it's more, I don't want to necessarily go back in time. I just want those standards that we were promised to everybody uh, or that should have been promised to everybody because obviously they weren't in the beginning. I want everybody to have those. I want to have that cut. You know, I want the same, I want the same rights as every white person, uh, Asian person, black person, anybody in the world, uh, gay, straight, man or woman. I, I want the same rights for everybody. And I want to make sure that we can have those rights and protect them. And so I don't understand destroying it. It's like, no, you, you want to, really allow this to flourish and you want to get rid of the people that are stopping you. You want to vote them out. You want to make sure that they're not affecting your life in that way. You want to ignore the media and the negative things that they say, speak to one another. That's why I think shows like yours and ours are very powerful because it allows us to get a message to an, uh, an audience that, uh, that is not necessarily going to see those things in the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And then they get to see, well, they don't see just a talking head 
in New York or Washington, D.C. somewhere, they see a real person. Yeah, they see a real person who talks about their real experiences, not reading from a teleprompter and just telling you, hey, this is what I've gone through. This is where I'm from. This, This is my story. And this is why I got to where I was. And we can really have those deep conversations and kind of bridge those gaps. Man, I love it. I, I think just kind of going back to what you were talking about and just people not feeling like, oh, these 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 fundamental American rights that we have citizenship here, so we have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking it's not for us. It's almost like I was watching uh, like House Hunters or Love It or List It or some, something like that. You know, one of those mm-hmm. TV shows that my wife loves. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> so... She, they were there and they were like, so I want to, we want to sell this house or get rid of this house because it was the husband's house. It was his house. He bought it when he was a bachelor and it's not, it's not our house. I want to buy a house with him. And it's like, wait a minute. Is that what's happening with American, I guess, ideals? The ones that are are true American ideals, not just some like fanciful patriot, yada, 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 but like, like true like rights where it's like, well, that right wasn't uh, a right for me back when, you know, when this thing first started. So let's just like get rid of everything and start fresh. Can we buy this new house together? And it's like, bro, like if it's a good right, it's a good right. If the Mm -hmm. right to bear arms is helpful, it's helpful. If um, all men being considered equal is a good right, let's take it. Like take it by force if you have to but take it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's where I am. That's how I've always been. And, you know, being, being kind of mentored by people like Kevin Dixie, who really goes heavy into history, obviously, especially a, a black history in the United States, knowing all those things, seeing the struggle, it's almost, it's almost offensive in a way to think it's like, wait a second. So you had so many people struggled for to get to the point where you can exercise these rights and you basically just want to destroy it or you want to almost get revenge uh, for past misdeeds instead of saying like, no, man, we're good. Like we're equal now. Let's just try to go forward together. I may not like everything that you're all about. As long as you don't mess with me, like we're cool, Mm. you know? And I think that's really the mentality and the mindset. I kind of thought, you know, growing up as a, a little bit older millennial, I felt like that's kind of what was going on when I went to college. You know, everybody was super cool. Everybody would tell politically incorrect jokes and not get offended. And everybody was just like, yeah, man, this is what it's all about. And, Twitter's and then dangerous something now. happened. <laughs> social media, like, just was a bomb that that accelerated oh, things. Yeah. Get me started on social media. I'm convinced yeah. social media destroyed this country. Destroyed yeah. this world, actually. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've watched TikTok, but that is, like, I'm convinced TikTok was created to, like, kill off the brain cells of the entire lower Because the youth audience. Yeah, I'm sorry. TikTok is like toxic. You will lose like your IQ. It'll go down to the double digits. I'm convinced. Hey, listen, it, it's a it's a plot from one of those other countries, China or Russia, to make sure yep. that in a few years they just take over. And who's going to stop you? We're going to be living in the metaverse. We're going to yep. be too busy watering our fake virtual plants to care. Yep. yep. Living in Minecraft. That's how that's how it's gonna be, or at least that's what a My lot of people want. My sister already told me she's like, "You should get an Oculus so we can spar together." I'm like, what the "Or heck? we could do it in real life. How yeah. about that?" Does she live near you? No, she does. Well, oh, I was like okay. 30 minutes away. It's close enough that I'm not gonna buy an Oculus to spar with her. Y'all could just meet in a gym in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, nah, it's not happening, man. Come on, guys. Like I. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not gonna. I don't know your sister, so I'm not gonna say anything. But <laughs> <laughs> no, g- good, good, good talk on that one, guys. I think there is a few things that I wanted to kind of get on specifically mm-hmm. in some previous conversations and some conversations I've had privately, and um, it, it's been really interesting because we're talking about like two-way culture and just a firearms community mm-hmm. and how there's this new generation of gun owners coming in, but sometimes they're from the political left. Sometimes they come from mm-hmm. different minority backgrounds, like, you know, black, Latino, whatever. And it's like, man, when you go to your concealed carry class and they're talking about, you know, those, those liberals and things like that, you know, just kind of using that rhetoric, mm-hmm. it can be kind of damaging, you know, not to borrow the language of the kids, but a little toxic, you know? And I wonder if there is, um, I suppose, ways to have conversations that are necessary. Because at the end of the day, generally it is the the quote-unquote liberals who are anti-gun and who are making legislation and voting in people who are um, negative to the firearms experience. So, yes, that is true. But I wonder if there are ways to have those conversations productively and to not come across as just kind of an a-hole when you're, when you're expressing your ideas and really trying to help people understand the importance of certain things. Absolutely. So we actually have a little bit of experience with this. We're not trainers, but we are RSOs. So we've been in classes and um, we've had the opportunity to put our two cents in. And I think it's actually really important for trainers to do that where you are addressing not just like, hey, these are your gun safety and your fundamentals, but also the importance of why you carry a gun, why, you know, why the Second Amendment is important. So instead of making it political, you should never bring up the right or left because the Second Amendment and the First Amendment and all the amendments, there's no, there shouldn't, they should be apolitical. They just exist. They're not, you know, now some parties try to make it political, but they shouldn't. But you don't bring that up. You just bring up, hey, okay, one of the reasons, like, yes, congratulations, your firearms owner, congratulations, your you know, I, I appreciate you're your making an effort to be safer and training up. But now that you're a gun owner, you have a responsibility to understand your right. And now that you understand this right, you have to protect it. And this is what it does for you. A gun is not just, a, a, you know, a sport. Um, it's not just cool. It's it's tool that's going to protect your life. And it can also protect you against government and it protects your freedoms. So I just had a conversation where I just told somebody, you know, about the second amendment, about freedom and didn't bring up the right or left. And Mm. that's what we should be doing. We should be talking about freedom and their rights, which is universal. And eventually once you put those ideas in people's head and this will happen because this is coming from someone who grew up as a Democrat. Once you get an idea, a seed, of truth in your head, especially when it comes to freedom, it tends to blossom into a tree. And it's a beautiful thing because you, hopefully you'll get the opportunity to see somebody have that conversion. But I've seen it a few times where you plant that seed and don't push too hard. You just just say a few truths. And down the road, they start coming to conclusions of, hey, you know, maybe these people that I support politically, they aren't protecting my freedoms and my rights. Mm-hmm. So they'll come to those conclusions because like I said, there is a political party that is not protecting people's rights and freedoms, and they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then they'll also hold uh, 
people who are supposedly pro-gun accountable too. Because one of the things that we saw in Florida was obviously after Parkland, it was the Republican Party of Florida. We had a Republican governor, a Republican supermajority, and they passed red flag laws and they increased the age of purchasing firearms to 21. So despite having supposedly the pro-gun party in Florida, we lost, uh, we lost you know, some of our rights there. By the way, Florida's uh, Republicans tend to be continue that trend. How many? It's what three years later, mm-hmm. and they're still voting against gun rights, um, or just we, not bringing it up. That's what they yeah. do. But they no, no, they actually it. actively voted against like HRA. Like oh, yeah, they, they yeah. voted for that. Like oh yeah, in Congress. They, yeah, yeah, in Congress. Um, but yeah, our we have a state full of rhinos, and but there's a movement now that is hopefully trying to primary them out. So I'm looking forward to the, the elections. Yeah. Uh, another thing that really has kind of worked for us, if you're able to, when you have the opportunity to teach people in person, it's extremely helpful. Uh, Joe and I were at an event down here locally. It was for Juneteenth at, uh, for Kwaku James actually invited us out there. And Ron. And Ron, yeah. Ron, Ron Scipio, who wrote uh, uh, Erica's, Erica's Big, Big Day. Day. Erica's mm-hmm. Big Day. Yeah, Ron was on yep. the program a, a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, he's awesome. So they asked us to come there and, and speak, you know, as like the local two, uh, two a advocates. And, you know, we brought a few firearms with us and we just wanted to have a few examples. So we brought, you know, an AR-15, I brought a Ruger 1022 that we have, uh, you know, a more modern pistol, uh, a mechanic TP9 SF. And then I brought uh, that 1911 that's back there. And, you know, I just brought up a few different things. And one of the first things that I asked is like, which one of these is a weapon of war? or was really a weapon of war. Mm. And then everybody points at the AR-15. I was like, no, that's actually not. That's, that's a civilian, that's a civilian version of there are, there are military versions of that, but they're, you know, they have select fire, they're fully automatic. And you know, they have a a few different features, but they look similar. I was like, but the the, the 1911, this actually was a weapon of war. (laughs) And then it's like, people are like, Whoa, that that's the first thing that blows you away. And then you kind of start talking about the laws and you don't even have to talk about who proposed them or anything like that. You just have to say, look at my wife. She's smaller physically than I am. Don't you think that it would be really useful? Okay. Let's say that I have an AR 15. Let's say that I'm taken out of the fight or I'm not home for whatever reason. And my wife has to use this gun. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be really convenient if you could adjust the length of pull by adjusting the buttstock on that? Doesn't that seem like a really awesome thing? Like it would be easier for her to use. And people are like, yeah, I was like, do you know that there are some laws that say that that feature makes it an assault weapon and they would want to ban it? And then the women in the group are like, what the heck? That's BS. Like, and I was like, yeah, it sounds kind of sexist, doesn't it? And you can even throw things out in there like that and use those, uh, use, you know, emphasize those things. Without using parties, we did like a whole two hour presentation that blew so many people's mind that they just didn't hear about these things because they get once you hear Republican or Democrat, um, people just tend to turn off. So, or liberal or whatever you want to call it and not listen to the message. So it's really important to get the message across without using those words and without using that. Just, just talk about the message behind that. And I think they'll, people will have much greater success. Mm-hmm. And then you can even go through history. And again, you don't even have to go through whichever parties in the past passed certain laws but when you see, you know, laws that were clearly racially motivated to restrict minorities from owning guns, it's pretty obvious that there's a political motivation behind this. And you can see that the government passing laws to restrict basically people's rights 
is a form of them, you know, using their power control. against you to control you. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about that, it really starts the, the freedom juices really get flowing and people start thinking about that. Like, oh man, like I really start to see that this is more of a symbol. It's a tool and it's also a symbol of our rights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it really just gets people think like they really appreciate it a lot more. I also found that statistics, um, statistics actually made a big impact too in that one. I had a ton of statistics and, you know, showing that gun control isn't like they, they always have this message of, uh, we're trying to keep you safe. And then you pull out statistics and it's like, are guns really as dangerous as you're making it sound? Uh, literally we have, I brought up the numbers of how many people died of, you know, uh, blunt force and tripping and falling and, and, you know, all these other things I'm like, why is no one banning hammers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or the suicide rate, that that's suicide, the majority yeah. of... talked about suicide, yeah, too. That was a big death. one. Yeah. So basically, there's no need for politics when it comes to gun rights because there shouldn't even be politics. And I think that's the, the main thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, let me touch on the, the suicide one because that one is... That one's important to me, not from any personal mm -hmm. experience, but because I, I do have a bit of a heart for just people's well-being and making sure that... People mm -hmm. are people are good because when people aren't good, like that throws everything off. Um, yeah. That said, I've heard that the suicide rate for firearms is even a little bit tarnished because it's like firearms related injury, and it's of like, course. wait a minute, mm -hmm. wait a minute, and don't quote me on that. Look it up for your own self and figure out, you know, your statistics and make sure that um, what I'm saying is true. But at the end of the day, a lot of there's a lot of really good statistics that kind of really do help people to understand like the numbers aren't lying in, in regards to these things. If say 90% of women who were armed with a firearm survived uh, without further incident, uh, a sexual assault, then maybe it's a good thing to train women to be um, efficient and safely efficient with these tools that can protect them from idiots in society and straight up monsters who would would try to violate their personal well-being mm -hmm. to say it fancifully like at the end of the day like if we if we can just understand the truth about these things and not just say you know like larry sharp said you know i'm the governor of new york and it's my job to keep you safe even though at every opportunity they'll do things that make you inherently less safe according yep. to your ability to protect yourself and you know, they'll, they'll increase their own power, the power of the state. If you're a statist, I can't help you. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you are responsible for your own well-being and your own safety. Yep. The state can't help you. The state can't always get there. And if you know anything about, you know, Supreme Court and police, the police really have no obligation to help you at all. Yeah. They could yeah. watch you die. And it's like, well, maybe they'll get fired by their boss, but maybe they won't. Yep. I mean, that's what happened in Parkland. The cop never went inside the school. He hid behind his car, and legally, he didn't have to. He yep. chose to protect his own life. And then they gave him his pension back later on, so yeah. it was like... Oh, it was, had no oh repercussions from yeah. that. So Literally, no problem. No nope. problem. Let a bunch of kids die. No problem, dude. Yep. Yeah. You did your job. Yep. And meanwhile, you had unarmed kids and adults trying to protect you know, their friends or, or their students, and it's just like, really, this is... But, you know, I think really the last two years have emphasized a lot of that because it almost doesn't even matter which side you're on. If let's say if you were on on the pro back the blue side, I think you had a rude awakening over the last two years when you saw people getting arrested for going to the beach 
or not showing uh, not. Well, now we're starting to see people get arrested for not having vax uh, passports and things like that. So a lot of people on the right woke up and they're like, oh, my gosh, the police will do bad things and enforce really bad laws. It's like, yeah, that's what a lot of people have been telling you for a long time, dude. Um, you haven't been listening to some people, but now it's OK. Now you can see it. And then people on the left are like, uh, well, let's just get rid of the police. I was like, but the government is also making it legal for you to defend yourself by purchasing a gun. So now you've got nothing at all. So it's like it's like you've gone to two opposite extremes here. So one side was was too pro pro status. The other side was anti or pro police. The other side was anti. But then neither had a solution there to really deal with what was going on. Right. And and we saw a lot of people woke up with that because people realize it's like, okay, you're a status, but you're also against law enforcement, against police. You realize that the state has to enforce its power. So they have to have a police or military force to enforce their will because that's what you want, right? You want the state to basically say, these people can't do these things. So we have to use force against them. And they start waking up. And obviously people on the right now are like, man, I was for small government. Why was I so pro law enforcement. It kind of doesn't make doesn't any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so both sides now are kind of like our 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 belief system has been shattered here because we saw reality blow up in the face of everything and we saw man, maybe there's things in history that actually happened. We should have actually listened to those lessons and or that's we should where have you seen have it coming. I like I have, I don't know. I don't think I coined, I, I coined this. It, it must have come from somewhere, but we're politically homeless because mm -hmm. you know, of everything that's happened. It's like I don't believe in either of these parties. Mhm. Mm now, that's a great segue into the next thing I want to talk about before we start wrapping up. And that is, you guys oftentimes sound kind of kind of libertarian. I know you have a lot of libertarian friends who are mm -hmm. like, you know, big L libertarian. Um, I don't know that you guys are like documented libertarian, not to make a Latino joke, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What, where where are we in regards to that status? Like, do you guys call yourself libertarian or do you just have certain like ideals that you like or what does that look like in y'all's life? Uh, libertarianism is kind of complicated right now. Because it's also very not standardized. There's a uh -huh. lot of different, within libertarianism, there's lots of little factions. So I'd say um, the Mises Caucus is probably where we lean closest to, but mm -hmm. I'll let you let you. Yeah, that's where that. I would be closer. I, I was actually reading the Libertarian Party of Florida uh, wanted us to go to their convention, but I think Joe might be out of town that week. Um, Probably am. But uh, they wanted us to go up there just because we met people from the Mises Caucus when we were at Maj Solutionary Summit back in uh, September. And so they were there. Maj's, you know, document, he ran uh, for Philadelphia City Council as a libertarian. So he's infused a lot of those ideas out there. And Eric July is one of my favorite uh, podcasters. We had the chance to, he interviewed us once and then we had him on our show. And I've just been exposed to a lot of things. I've seen how basically I grew up neoconservative, you know, uh, being a, in a military family, that's pretty common. I was, you know, obviously pro-military, you know, supported the war in Iraq. I was, I was a kid in high school at the time. So I obviously didn't understand what I do today, but I believed in those things. And then I realized as I got older, I was like, okay, so both political parties seem to be a little bit authoritarian here in different ways and they have di and they have motivations but then i started seeing a little bit further too it's like sometimes it seems like there's a little bit of collusion here or it's uh, or it's uh you know simulated opposition and then really at the end of the day they all go into the back smoke rooms and they're like huff these fools they just vote for all for either of us it doesn't really matter 
Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, waking up to that and then realized, well, I've always been kind of a small government conservative, but that doesn't really seem to exist anymore because on if if the left wins, usually they'll pump up, you know, social welfare programs, things like that, where if the right is in, they'll pump up the military spending budget. So it's like either both sides are blowing up the deficit. It doesn't really matter because the American people are ultimately the, the ones that are being underserved, either by being pandered to and and just treated like their children. So it's like, you don't have to worry about anything. We'll give you everything that you want. Just vote for us and you're cool. To, well, you know, we have to go overseas to fight against terrorism and we have to do these things and we have to use our sophisticated weaponry that you guys are paying for because we have to do it. It's the only way that you're going to be safe. All right. And (laughs) it is interesting to see that there are certain corporations that have big American money contracts and they they feed Mm -hmm on the american machine yeah not to get super political but that's that's the facts that no oh, matter yeah. who's in office doesn't matter yeah. could be biden could be trump they're gonna make their money and yeah. every year they're making more would yep. you believe it yep and i mean i think that's what was you know that's what started shifting me more towards libertarianism i actually think i think trump was actually good because he exposed a lot of things and he was pretty honest about some things he's like we're going to sell these countries weapons because it makes us money. I'm like, that's the first time an American president has actually told the truth. He's like, yeah, it's, it makes us a lot of money. It's like, let's just sell them weapons instead of sending our troops. It's like, it makes a lot of sense. Like we should, we should really roll back. And for somebody that lived obviously in a very pro military family and I love all the people that I've been exposed to throughout the life. Some of the best people I've met were friends. of My father in the military taught me a lot of great lessons, but even my own dad is now, <laughs> basically said, he's like, I don't trust the federal government. I've worked with them my entire life because I've seen how the deterioration and the politicization and everything and the lack of sense of duty that people in the government don't care about the American people or America itself. They just care about getting theirs. Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, it's pretty bad to look at. Do I consider myself a big L libertarian? Uh, At this point, no, because the libertarian party needs to figure itself out. Yeah. Um, and also, there's a few things that I don't agree with. I do not agree with open borders. I very, I mean, some people may call me a hypocrite because my one of my parents was an illegal immigrant many, many, many years ago. Um, but I'm realistic enough or mature enough to understand that was not the right way to do things, mm-hmm. even though I come from that. Um, and it's not good for this country to just have an open door policy. Um, there's a lot of problems with that that I see and I don't like it. <laughs> so I don't, you know, there's aspects of, of, of their platform that I just, I'm not hundred percent on board with, but uh, I'd say about 85% of the platform I like. Well, and, and I actually like what uh, you, you interviewed Larry Sharp. We had the chance yeah, to talk to him too at Maja's Solutionary Summit. And one of the things that he told us is he doesn't necessarily care about the Libertarian party winning and dominating on a political level just to do well enough to improve the political situation in America. Because if there is a strong libertarian party, even if they're not capable of winning the majority, they can, they can scare the other two parties and force them to moderate. It'll force conservatives to actually be small government and it'll force the left to maybe rethink things and say, wow. So we have now one party that's super pro freedom, another party that's trying to aspire to be pro freedom, and we're sitting here being authoritarians. Maybe we need to roll things back and pull some of these libertarian ideas. 
So I think we do need a strong third party. I, I definitely endorse it. I want to see the Libertarian Party do well and find its own message if, if for no other reason to improve the political situation in the U.S. So a lot of people don't like to vote for the Libertarian Party because they feel like it's a wasted vote. Oh, they're never going to win. The reason you vote for the Libertarian Party, though, the real reason is they need a certain percentage in order to create a get on the level of the two-party system. Right now we have a two-party system. A lot of people don't know this. It's really um, stacked up against the Libertarians. You have to, when you run for office, when you run for a third party, you have to pay a higher fee. You need a higher number of signatures. So basically, it's easier to run as a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah, and a lot of cities you see this. That's what happened with Maj in Philadelphia. He talked about the fees that you had to pay just to get on the ballot there versus being one of the big two because they're a duopoly. So they can negotiate ultimately to be like, well, we're both going to pay the same thing. It's like, but let's make sure to keep everyone else. Because they don't want, they don't, they're they're colluding because they don't want any new ideas coming out. Mm -hmm. Between the two of them, just go back and forth, back and forth. You know, this little pendulum swim that we have with politics. They don't want new ideas that challenge their old, old, good old boys, you know, concepts and, and, and institution, which is what a third party would break up. Yeah. So why do you vote for a libertarian? Because you want a third party to get to a level. You want when it's a, a presidential uh, debate, you want a third podium on there. You know, you won't you can't get that unless you break a certain percentage. And hopefully with this election, um, that's coming up. We're going to see much more people voting and trying to get that third party recognized, yeah. which would be great. And yeah. I think we've been seeing a lot of young people go into the Republican Party, too, because let's be honest, there's more potential to try to change the Republican Party than the Democrat Party on certain things. Like if you're not a statist, the Democrats don't really want you right now. It's, it's you're not going to break into that. It's very difficult. Whereas if you're a Republican and you're a libertarian, if you run as a Republican, but you have libertarian ideas, you can start pulling the Republican Party more towards yeah. the libertarian side, too. Yeah. If you, want, of, if you want to have a you know, more established mm-hmm. platform, you can basically try to co-opt the Republican Party. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm looking forward to certain rhinos getting uh, primaried, in, especially in Florida. And I know a lot of the um, younger people running in the Republican Party are the small government pro to a um, have these platforms. So is it traditionally Republican? Absolutely not. We want to break away from these traditional uh, useless, not clearly it's not working. We need something new. This, this government needs uh, this, this government, this country needs new, new blood, new ideas. And those ideas should be small government, freedom minded platforms. Yeah, we definitely need something different. And that's why I like having conversations with guys like Larry uh, mm-hmm. You guys, when we talk a little bit of politics and, of course, uh, Olivia Rondeau and people yep. people who kind of dabble in these things or know these things intimately. Because um, at the end of the day, like all these things that we're like, we grew up talking about this for years. Like since I was like in seventh grade, we're talking about like, we should do these things. And, you know, as I'm kind of going into high school, you ever heard of reparations and all these things? I'm like, oh, what's this? And like, like what what has been what has been done? I've I've had a few presidents in my lifetime. None of them have really done anything to really change certain things, except for let's go to this war now, or let's stay Mm. in this war now. And we're finally going to leave this war now, but let's start one with Russia while we're here, you know, while we're here. And I don't, I don't really want to do that because I just saw this video of this big uh, shirtless Russian dude with a six pack (laughs) arm wrestling a freaking bear and he won. And I'm just like, 
I don't want this. All you need to watch is the U.S. Army recruitment video that they had a few months ago with the girl with the two moms and then the Russian one where it shows this badass, like, bald Russian dude jumping out of planes with an AK and, like, on the battlefield. And you're like, yeah, who's who's more intimidating? Like, who's more intimidating right now? And I saw the other day that uh, a bunch of, like, women in the Army barracks from basic training were on TikTok, TikToking, and then their drill sergeant was coming. They had to hide. I was like, this is the kind of discipline that we have in the military. Like, I mean... Uh, Listen, I'm all for just fun, like, but this is yeah. That seems like it's a little too much. That yeah. said, you know, we, I think we do need to have these conversations a little more mm-hmm. often, just to really help people who maybe they don't really touch this stuff. To just know, just know, kind of what maybe what the game plan is, so that yeah. we can do something a little different. Like you ain't got to watch all the all the libertarian debates or all the this or the that. And I'm not even tell you telling you to go vote libertarian. That's what they're doing, but they're here to tell you what they want to tell you. It doesn't matter. I don't mm-hmm. care. Ultimately, make a decision based on the information you have. And I feel like no one's talking about these things. When I say no one, the media, Mm -hmm. the media. And just to touch on something you mentioned earlier, Joe, you used the term rhino like six times. You know, take a shot for every time you heard rhino. I don't really endorse drinking, but take a shot. Get some water. Um, Can you define that just for people who have no idea what you're talking about? Sure. A rhino is an acronym that I don't know who coined it, but it's pretty funny. It stands for Republican in name only. And what that means is a Republican who possibly when he was running or she was running, spouted all these, I'm for this, I'm for that, I'm going to do this for you. And then when they actually get in office, they don't do anything or they do the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. So Florida had a bunch of that. We had a bunch of people running for seats in Congress and the state Senate. And a lot of them spouted all this pro two a jargon. Mm-hmm. And the second they got in, oh, red flag laws and gun control and all this stuff. So definitely rhino is what we call them. Republicans in name only. They do name not uphold only. the values that they said they did. It's funny because in the in the let's go Brandon song, <laughs> one of the lines is actually like Republicans p- passing red flag laws. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny. So it's you know that's how it is. So they people people know and they're aware, and that's why again I think we need a, a strong third party to really hold. Uh, or a revolution in the Republican Party to yeah. make them actually have good platforms. Yeah. And, and even stick to them. and even the Democrat Party, like we've been seeing people wake up now, where they're like they have buyer's remorse for Biden because they're like the economy's gotten worse. There's actually more division in some cases. The economy uh, obviously is not doing well. Kids can't go back to school. And you've been seeing a lot of, especially mothers, kind of what what's going on here. Why, the government's being authoritarian. They're not actually helping me. No. And they're starting to wake up. And they might be like, well, maybe I'll never vote for the other side, but I can't vote for these people anymore because they're actually lying about everything. About everything. Literally yeah. everything. Every, yeah. and I'm not a big like COVID this and this and that, but like. Every single time you turn around, oh, this COVID statistic is a lie. And yeah. oh, this one is incorrect. And everything that you you heard from like some conservative talking head idiot guy who's like, eh, like, wait, he was telling the truth? Alex yeah. Jones was telling the truth? <laughs> Yo, when Alex Jones, like his things are actually like legitly what is real. It's like, what reality am I living in? You're in the metaverse. Yeah, it's like already it's there. The simulation, yeah. <laughs> You're already there, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's just completely wild. So, definitely, um, this is wild time to be alive. I, I wanted to talk about 
one or two more things before we uh, call it a day. Is that all right, guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you guys as a mentorship tree is kind of kind of interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we talked to, you know, earlier about like having like a coalition of like the minorities in 2A and just kind of like banding together and sticking together to make sure that we are letting people know, especially people who don't kind of see minorities as like pro 2A, like, hey, mm -hmm. listen, 2A is for, for us. Stop trying to use it as a political football, um, but also to to be that relatable person and have that representation. Can we talk a little bit about you guys as, I guess, mentorship tree in that regard and, you know, having Absolutely. that coalition? Yeah. Uh, so we kind of got into 2A, really, like I said, after Parkland was when we really started becoming more political about it. And uh, Joe, pretty much, we were off social media for years because we just thought social media has got nothing to offer us. And then Joe decided to join Instagram in about, I think it was 2019. It was 2019. Yeah. And she started following gun people on uh, on IG. And mm -hmm. some of them were, a lot of them were activists. Or, or, Maj uh, yeah. was one of the big ones. Yeah, Maj. I'd heard about Maj uh, just in different radio shows I listened to and podcasts. So I was like, oh, man, Maj is pretty awesome. We started following him there. Uh, I knew of Kevin Dixie from watching him on one of Coleon Noir's seasons where he talked about St. Louis specifically. And so fo started following him there, started seeing, uh, found out about Argo J, who's a friend of theirs, and then Tony Simon with the second is uh, for everyone. And through uh, interactions with them and other people, we eventually found out about the Second Amendment rally that was in Washington, D.C. in 2019. And I was just like, you know, I want to go. Uh, I originally wanted to go to GRPC, the Gun Rights Policy Conference in Arizona, but it happened like right when I finally really started getting into this, it was too short notice and I couldn't get out there. So I said, next big event that Second Amendment advocacy I'm going to go to. Sure enough, uh, I believe Rob Pincus posted uh, about the 2A rally and I was the first one that said, I'm there. I bought the tickets. I sold Joe. I was like, I'm going to go. Uh, do you want to come with me? And she was like, Heck yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yep. She's like, I'll support you if this is what you want to do. Let's go. So we went and uh, we were invited to uh, by some of the advocates to this breakfast that was being held by a Second Amendment advocates to try to bring new people, uh, new blood in and, and mentor them. So, like I said, uh, Argo J was there, Tony Simon, uh, Jara Hutchins was there too, uh, Cheryl Kevin Todd, Dixie. Kevin Dixie. Kevin Dixie was extremely inspirational yep. that day. And so was Tony. I actually, um, sitting next to Tony and he was just so nice and so like they were all so welcoming mm -hmm. and I'm like I'm literally no one I'm just this person who believes in this and that's it like I got nothing going on mm -hmm. nothing and they were like just being super supportive and just being super like giving us tips and like how to like evolve as advocates and this was like so cool Mm -hmm. So then we went to the, to the, actually walked after the breakfast. We walked to, um, oh, Cheryl Todd was there. Mm -hmm. um, Tim Knight was there. Yeah, Tim Knight. Rebecca Schmoy. Yeah. Like it was just a smorgasbord of awesome people um, that were involved in, in pr the protection of the Second Amendment mm -hmm. in different ways. And we walked to the, um, to the actual rally in DC on the, uh, the lawn of the Capitol and got to watch Kevin Dixie talk about, you know, the history of gun, uh, the history, the racist history of gun control. And it was extremely, incredibly just eye-opening and motivational. And I remember like I cried at different parts. It was like a really like 
how many hours was that rally? It was several oh, hours, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So at the end, we got to go and hang out a little bit more. And I remember, you know, getting to talk to Argo J. And I don't know, we just had this like instant click. And then mm-hmm. everybody's like, hey, we're going to go get food. And we went and got food with everybody. And then after that, it was like, hey, we're going to go get cigars. And we went and got cigars with Kevin Dixie and, and Arco J. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the coolest thing. And that was just the, the blossoming relationship that happened. It was just getting to meet these great advocates. And we just naturally clicked. Um, we were different, but we had similar, like, I guess, backgrounds or similar mm-hmm. ideas or some like there was just a, even though we were so different, there was a lot of similarities and we, we all just felt something. So fast forward two years later, they're some of our best friends. Yep. Uh, they've been on the show. Uh, they've been on the show a few times. Everybody's seen them. Uh, we've been to Kevin Dixie's train and learn event. Uh, we were there uh, in SHOT Show. Argo J invited us to go there to help document the release of his, uh, his rifle at the time. And it's just been, it's just been great. Uh, this guy right here, Tony Simon. 2A for E. Yep. Big brother, too. Love yep. to see it. Man in the bathtub. For, those, yep. <laughs> for, for the audio-only listeners, there's a, uh, a rather large man sitting in a traditional bathtub. Lots of bubbles. You can't see anything. Thank God. And, <laughs> you know, he's holding a handgun because, you know, you got to have your tub gun. If you don't have a yep. tub gun, we can't be friends. And it's got 2A for everyone on it. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Yep. Yeah, so that's pretty much uh, where we went and along the way we've had different people uh, really just be very supportive. And uh, it's and been, it, it is strange. Like I don't, I, it wasn't by design. It definitely wasn't by design. Cause I am not the type of person to say, I, I only make friends with this type of person and I exclude that type of person, but it ended up being um, that I don't know why, but the minorities tend, at least in our case, just generally just, aggregated together because we maybe we had that you know idea of there's an image out there and we don't represent it and we want to make sure that we represent our demographic and see hey we exist it's mm-hmm. not just these white guys with long beards in fact we were i remember we were eating at uh Mike Sedini's house actually mm-hmm. in Vegas the night before shot show and um, Armand Brigitte from prime protection were there. Um, Heaven Dixie, Argo J and Tony were there and we were all eating and talking about guns and smoking cigars and the news was on and the news actually like, it, do you remember it said something about like um, white supremacists and gun owners? Like it actually literally, and we're all just like turn and look at the TV. Like <laughs> ironically, I'm like, it's a room full of not, that all gun owners and we're all like is this a joke mm-hmm. the media like, that's that but that's why we exist it's like not really but that's not the reason we exist but that's why it's important like we don't like to play identity politics but it uh-huh. is important to point out hey i am not this you know this media creation of of this white man with a beard i am a woman yeah. who is of many different ethnicities and or, or what's it called like a I am indigenous. I am black. I am Hispanic. I am, I have all white. I, I have everything in me. I'm a, I'm a mutt. I am not this thing that you think I should be. That's scary. I am just who I am. And that's many people in this country. Mm-hmm. You cannot pigeonhole me. You cannot say I am not a gun owner. 
And that's why that's why it's important to get involved. If you hate social media, get on it. Show people what you believe in. Don't be afraid of the stigma of being a gun owner because mm-hmm. that's how you break that's how you break it. Yep. Now I know that you particularly, Joe, are are really against identity politics, but this for you is 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 ne- not necessarily different. Okay, so I generally don't like identity politics. I've never have. It's never been my thing. I am what I am, and that's it. I don't I shouldn't have to explain my background to anyone um, or talk about it. And I don't know why I feel that way. I just always have. But and I had to actually get nudged into being an advocate because I initially didn't want to. And one of the ways that someone nudged me was to say, oh, there's, you know, not enough Latinas out there. They need a voice. And I was like, okay. And at first I thought it was like, I felt some kind of way about it. But then, then you get the private messages or the DMs from people who actually really do appreciate you for that reason. It's like, oh my God, it's so great to see somebody that is of my background. I, it's so great to finally see Hispanics talking out about it. I've never seen that before, you know, and, and it makes you like, oh, it felt really good. And I'm glad that it's actually helping someone or, you know, I'll get, oh, you inspired me to, you know, come out as a gun owner. Like it's something mm-hmm. to come out about. But um, yeah, I, I realized it's like I, I let go of whatever thing I have with, you know, my conflict because it's it's honestly for the greater good. It, it's really making a difference. So I appreciate that. And I. I guess that's where the where the locked and loaded Latinos, <laughs> and the alliteration, and the alliterations. Yes, mm-hmm. I do love that. Yeah, it just L- rolls. It rolls well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Man, wow! I think I think we I think we hit everything, guys. Awesome. Was there anything you guys needed to shout out, plug X Y Z? And now just know, time sensitive. It's going to kind of suck because this can come out in a few weeks. Oh yeah, that's no, totally that's no fine. problem. Um, I mean, uh, people can follow us at Locked. Uh, you can check us out. We're the Locked and Loaded Latinos. Find us on YouTube and all social media platforms, especially Instagram is where we kind of got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you can find us on Locked. Is it Locked Loaded Latinos or Locked Loaded? Locked Loaded Latinos. There's no, no and. No. So there's no and on the social medias. Um, on the YouTube channel, it's Locked Loaded. Uh, it's Locked Loaded Latinos. Here. No, it's Locked and Loaded Latinos. Uh, is it? Yeah, oh, on, okay. on, the, on the YouTube it is well the um, url is just locked loaded latina. doesn't matter i'm sorry we're being we are being adhd right now um i'm latina <laughs> locked ADHD. in yeah i'm latina locked in with the letter n loaded on instagram he's puerto rican pistolero and yeah we definitely appreciate a follow but more importantly a sub on the youtube because we're trying to get to a certain break that mystical 1000 mark mm-hmm. that lets us do things like live stream so we would appreciate uh, you guys listening. If you like what you hear, give us a sub. Mm-hmm. And yep. we have some really- Subs uh, are free. Subs are free, yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't know if this will happen before or after this airs, but we have some really interesting guests coming on. We haven't had guests in a little while since we just talk forever, as you guys can tell. So, But we do have, um, I'm moving into back into the realm of asking people and I'm really excited about one in particular. I don't want to share it just yet, but yeah, if you're if you like interesting people that are a little bit different, I we may have something. So keep an eye on mm-hmm. on our stuff. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of long term goals. I want to start bringing in more people outside of the gun community and talk about guns with them, but also talk about freedom rights and things like that, or games 
and try to kind of bridge that gap and uh, bring different groups together because ultimately you see a lot of there's a lot of fights against the second uh, the first amendment right now and the second amendment mm-hmm. so i think groups can find solidarity because it's like you need both for a free society as far as i'm concerned you definitely do what are you mm-hmm. guys playing right now i know you guys are some a bit of a gamers you know to say the least well what have we well we started playing borderlands 3 again <laughs> that's an old game yeah. it's uh Tiny Tina's Adventures are coming out soon. That's a really big. I'm a huge fan of Borderlands Three, so I will be playing that nonstop when it comes out. But we're we're went back and we're finishing up the DLC on Borderlands Three. Now um, we're gonna end up playing uh, Mario Kart and Splatoon a lot. Yes, for reasons. So we're branching back into our Nintendo stuff, and uh, I'm currently streaming when I get around to streaming on Twitch. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy game, which has been pretty good. I actually watched Rolando play, and it's got a great story. So if you like comic books, like that, that one actually does a very good job of telling the story of the Guardians, which is different from the movie. Yep. Excellent. Well, hopefully uh, people can check you out if they like what you have to say or they don't. They could hit you up in the DMs and say, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, I hate you guys. Never get back <laughs> on that cool. show again. You guys talk too much about them politics. X, y, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And maybe they could say something nice and encouraging. Shoot, it's a new year, 2022, new year, new you. Be nice and uh, tell your content creators that you love them. Do you guys have like Patreon or anything like that? We do. We have a Patreon and a subscribe star. It's again, Locked Loaded Latinos. If mm-hmm. anybody wants to do that, we also do uh, Streamlabs. So you can do that since we don't have uh, access to Super Chats yet on live stream. Oh, so yeah. Streamlabs Super kind Chats of, are huge. So definitely let's get those. Guys, if, if what, 300 of you guys go ahead and subscribe, like I think it'll set these guys over the edge. I think they're doing some good <laughs> stuff. Um, we agree on many, many things, but we don't have to agree on everything to know that we should support each other, especially if you're supporting the Second Amendment. So, guys, please go support my friends. These, are, these guys are actually my friends. Like, wait, we're, we're friends. I'd love to see them win. <laughs> go help these guys win. I know I'm plugging their stuff super hard, but, like, I really do appreciate everything they do. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and sign off. Like, right now, it's super late. And... <laughs> Thank you so much for watching or listening wherever you are. Please like the video, share it, whatever you need to do. And of course, keep it costly.